Welcome to a life well lived. Grow, preserve, and transfer your wealth with Ken Olette, CPM Certified Portfolio Manager and Founder of Orca Wealth Management. In this podcast, he will provide some clarity in setting goals needed to build, preserve, and transfer wealth and overcome some of life's financial obstacles. Ken provides actionable steps to help you plan through your financial ups and downs in a way everyone can understand. Join us on this journey where Ken will explore many financial avenues, drawing from his three decades of experience in helping others avoid risking a lifetime's worth of work and savings by not having a plan and a strategy in place. Now, on to the show. Once again, here we are. Welcome to A Life Well Lived with Kenilette and Orca Wealth Management. Today's topic, principles to successful fixed investing. Ken, I, I have no idea, but that kind of sounds cool. I mean, principles yeah. to successful fixed investing. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not most people's favorite topic because uh, it hasn't been something that's been really utilized over the last probably 15 years, but we're going to make fixed income investing exciting today so i hope that uh, listener enjoys it i have coffee i'm ready to go learn <laughs> make me learn something here <laughs> well first i'd be remiss if i didn't say hey uh, don don is a veteran and um thank you for your service thank you for uh hearing the call and accepting it was a very positive experience in my young life and uh yeah thank you very much thank well, you tell us a little bit about it so what, what how did you serve what did you do how many years well, i i signed i went to college and signed up uh, after my first year in college and, um, went on submarines, wow. very unique. Yeah. Yeah. Just like my father. And so it was kind of that aspect of it was fun. And then they sent me to our school, went to college and then got out and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I managed to use the military to all I can be. Well, good, good. good. Well, we're glad that uh, you served and, um, we really do appreciate your service on this, on this day of remembering our veterans. Thank you very much. Yes. Yes. And okay. also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention happy anniversary to you and your wife. How many yeah. years now? Yeah, 19 coming up uh, tomorrow. Thank you for remembering. Yeah, good family, man. Yeah. Send a bottle of wine son, and you know something small. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fixed income. Back to business here. Yeah. So what is it? Well, well, what I thought we'd try to cover is the main four points, um, three or four points that really – are the fixture in fixed income uh, that really are the main points that people need to know that I think um, will help them along their journey in uh, in this type of investing. So I think, yeah, I, as you alluded to, you know, what is fixed income for those that don't know and why is it important, I think is a good question to ask. So yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I like to think of it or have people think of it fixed income as kind of the foundation of your home. So one of the things with with fixed income is that it's fixed. And so it should be the secure uh, base of your investing portfolio. So one of the, what do you think is the weird the one thing that people don't like about equities or stock investing? Well, it, it, you can't you can't really guarantee what's coming out here in the long run. It's right. all up in the air. Yeah, we, we in, in our in our parlay, we parlay that into the word volatility. Right. So people okay. don't like volatility in the market. So it, they like the upside, but they really don't like the downside. And so <laughs> That's called being human. Yeah, that's part part of being human. Right. And so unfortunately, with equity investing, you have to put up with those periods where, you know, it feels like you're losing money uh, for an extended period of time. And what 
good fixed income will do is it will make you feel like you're not losing money for an extended period of time during those periods. Right. And mm -hmm. so we like to use fixed income to moderate the portfolio, to give us a, a return on a fixed basis. And it helps lessen that volatility or risk of the overall portfolio. So with, with that, you would think, well, why has not fixed income been a larger portion of people's portfolios over the last, let's say 15 or 20 years. Yeah, I'd wonder. I mean, if it's so good, I mean, I, anything you can guarantee like that, I would say, give it to me. Right, right. So the challenge is, is a guarantee is, is only as good as what it provides, right? And so over the last 15 years, interest rates have been where? Up and down. Well, now they're going up. Yeah, now they're going up, but they've been very, very low. The last 15 years? Yeah. Like zero. Yeah, close yeah. to zero. So there's been no meaningful return gleaned from fixed income investing. So it kind of lost its luster. But if you go, if you stretch out the accordion somewhat, um, you'll see that fixed income investing has traditionally provided a decent return anywhere between the rates of, you know, three and a half to six to 7%, somewhere in that through the traditional long-term of investing. That's where, where it's provided. Now, over the last 15 years, as I mentioned, because the Federal Reserve and we went through the Great Recession of 08, rates were very, very low to stimulate the economy. So it didn't really make a lot of sense to own a lot of fixed income because you just didn't get any return that would keep pace with inflation. Yeah, like a savings account, like you get two cents every month. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It just, uh, it just wasn't productive to own a lot of fixed income. So mm -hmm. then it, then we kind of get into what are the individual components that comprise fixed income. And so for that, I'll start with the most conservative and kind of work my way down the ladder of, uh, of, uh, of stuff that's less, less, um, guaranteed or, or has a, less of a, uh, a certainty to it. So the number one item that people typically think of in fixed income would be, would be treasuries, right? So you have treasury bills, which last anywhere from zero to two years. And typically you buy them at a discount. So you get, you buy them or you buy a thousand dollar treasury bill, you buy it for $950. It matures at a thousand, you get the $50 at the end. Okay. So it doesn't yep. pay through that period. Now, the treasury uh, those kinds of ones I see that uh, like my son got one from his grandpa and we've had it in our safe deposit box forever and it's never gotten more. <laughs> it, right. I mean, he should have cashed that puppy in the moment it matured 10 years ago, but it hasn't. Yeah. Those are savings bonds. Those are EE bonds or what have you. And those are typically distributed by a bank. And, um, and, and so those are, you buy at a deep face value and they have a long-term maturity, but you're right. People have to check those because sometimes they, uh, particularly the older bonds, they'll stop paying interest. So mm -hmm. um, we always tell people if they've been in that uh, safety deposit box for decades, you kind of got to <laughs> take a look at them and, and run those through the computer to see what the value is and if they're still paying interest. But yeah, there's a similar concept, but only a longer term on those. So then we have treasury notes which are anywhere between two and five years. And those pay semi-annual interest. So you get you get paid twice a year. Mm -hmm. So if it pays 5%, you're going to get that 5% um, in increments of 2.5% uh, every six months to equal 5% for the year. Okay? Okay. And then you have longer-term bonds, and those go all the way to 30 years. Um, and those are the long-term 
uh, treasuries that, that, you know, kind of the, the bellwether, the long-term rates. And so those um, are all the treasuries are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. All right, what does that mean? Um, it just means that they have the taxing authority, right? They can they can tax and they can print money to pay those obligations, as we're seeing in the news now quite quite readily almost every day. <laughs> yeah, so that's a practice. They're basically guaranteed. You're going to yeah. get what your value is, if no right. matter pretty much whatever happens. Absolutely, because the government will just um, do like they do now. They'll just they'll just raise more more debt and pay it mm-hmm. off. So, yeah, so those are uh, explicitly guaranteed by the U.S. government. And then you have federal agency bonds, which have the same similar structure. Those would be uh, Federal Home Loan Board, FDIC, um, the old Tennessee Valley Authority were, were big, um, Fannie Mae, uh, things of those that, that kind of add liquidity and, um, and smoothness to our mortgage markets. Um, the Federal Home Loan, Federal uh, Farm Credit. Uh, things of the, the this nature that are federal agencies that are not guaranteed by the U.S. government, but they're implicitly backed by the U.S. government. Um, okay. So that's kind of a semantic term. I just can't technically say it's guaranteed, but the U.S. government has a tendency to, um, if anything were to falter in one of those agencies, they they come yeah. in. And, and they're not, not going to let it fail. They're not going to let it fail. Correct. Because <laughs> they're they're very important to our to our our institutions and our and our way of life here in America, of course. And then, and then you have next down the slope would be uh, corporate bonds, and those are essentially just what what it what it what it says. They're corporations that issue debt, and those are based off of the same type of credit quality that you would deem anybody else. So, it, it like a bond like McDonald's is going to have a far better credit quality than um, Zito's appliance store. Yeah. Right. Uh, so Zito would have to have a much higher, higher interest rate to put up with that amount of risk than, let's say, McDonald's or Walmart, mm-hmm. because they have very, very good credit. In some instances, some people would deem some of these corporations to be on par uh, with almost federal agency paper because they're AAA rated in some of these companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Microsoft, I think, is and um, I believe Walmart, Apple. Uh, you know, they have very, very, very good ability to pay their credit and longevity Yeah, and longevity. Right. And yeah, they've been so, around forever and they're making money still. Exactly. Exactly. So for that, you know, you're, you're not, you're going to get on par with probably treasury or federal agency type return or interest rate because they are so safe. Now, do uh, these businesses do that often? Yeah. They, yeah. The corporations uh, sell tons and tons of tons of, of bonds, particularly depending on where, where we are in the interest rate cycle. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but okay. yeah, it, it uh, they use it to, to build factories, to manufacturing facilities, to new plants, new, new, anything that they want to expand. Oftentimes they will raise uh, debt versus equity. So mm-hmm. you know, that's a good question. So it's a very, very liquid market. In fact, the fixed income market, many people don't know, is far larger than the equity markets. It's oh, wow. it's multi, multi, multi trillions of dollars globally. So you not only think of us and all the corporations that we have that have to issue debt, but all across the globe, whether it be Japan, China, uh, Europe, you name it, they are they are issuing sovereign debt or corporate debt. And sovereign debt would be country debt. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I'll take that. And then, and then down the line too, then you have bank CDs, and that's traditionally what people um, 
oftentimes think of when they think of fixed income sometimes is, uh, you know, they go to the bank, they buy a one-year CD. So that would be deemed fixed income. Um, you know, you're doing it for a particular maturity. You're loaning the money to somebody and they're, they're, they have a promise to pay you a particular interest rate over that period. And they promise to pay you the, the principal back when it matures. Which is very safe. Right, right. Depending on how good the issuer's promise is. That's what he said. <laughs> but I mean, you wouldn't be buying uh, Joe, Joe Schmo appliance. No, some people bonds. do. Some people do. And that would be called high yield bonds. Okay. Or used to be called affectionately junk bonds. And they were mm. really big. Um, I've heard that term. Yeah. Back in the, um, particularly the late 80s, uh, when a lot of hostile takeovers were taken over, they would use a lot of junk debt. And um, that market kind of collapsed a little bit. It's since been reborn and now they call it high yield debt. They just kind of changed the name, but it is essentially the same things. Those are lower credit quality companies that issue a lot of debt and they pay you a good amount for that. Um, mm -hmm. But there's, that's commensurate with a lot of risk. Right? Yeah. You know, they're not, they're not the best of credit quality. So there's a chance that, that when we go into a recession, you're going to get a fair amount of defaults, you know, five mm -hmm. to 10% of those. So that's something to, to keep in mind. Uh, and one other area I'll just touch on briefly, but there's also people can use fixed annuities, which tend to look and mirror um, fixed income, but they're essentially an insurance product. So they have the same maturity sometimes one, three, five, 10 years. And the mm -hmm. insurance company has a promise to pay you an interest and they promise to pay you that principal back um, when it matures. The difference is, is it's tax deferred and it's done by an insurance company. Yeah. So, but it, but that can be classified as some form of fixed income as well in someone's portfolio. Are money market accounts and that's the same thing? Well, we consider those cash and cash alternatives. So, you know, cash, because it doesn't have a real, um, it's got a day-to-day -day liquidity. Oh. Um, it's not really a, a, a fixed vice because the, the, the yield on a money market changes every day. Oh. Yeah, slightly, um, mostly, but um, it will change slightly every day with the with the short term treasury rates. So, yeah, that's a good question. So money markets have a place, but they're um, typically on, on your cash side of your your allocation. OK. All right. So with that, um, that's a good segue into the explanation of the yield curve, because the yield curve, people hear, hear yield curve and they're kind of, whoa, what, we got to get into some math here. Is there algorithms? Um, you know, what, <laughs> what, what's at stake here? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, I don't know what a yield curve is. Man. I, just, right. I, I yield when the lights on the bus go yellow and that's about the curve is right. wow. My speed yeah. to slow down. I think the spelling is the same, but the meaning for the word yield is a little different. So in this, in this tense, we're looking at the yield or the interest rate that it pays. And so if I could have the listener kind of visualize this a little bit, you would think a traditional yield curve would be at the bottom. So if you have treasuries or that are short-term and maturity, let's say less than one year, you would think that those would pay less than a 30-year bond. And in the middle, you'd have the 10-year. So the yield should slope upwards or the yield or the interest they pay you should be greater longer term. Now, why do you think that would be done? Well, because you're tying up, you're putting on, I'm putting out the risk, more risk because of the, the longer time frame. I'm my money's tied up. Yeah, precisely. So if you're, if you're giving it, so in one year or six months, you can kind of dictate what the environment's going to look like, right? You, you can pretty much yeah. say, okay, well, you know, our country's not going to default and we're not going to have anarchy probably in six months. 
right? But now if you're thinking 30 years, a lot can happen in 30 years, right? Yeah, you're, and I'm guessing and, on that business going to be still up and running in 30 years. And Yeah, on the corporate level, for sure, for sure. That's, that's a huge, huge factor. And But even in, in treasuries. So you're saying, hey, I'm going to expect you to pay me back in 30 years. And for that, you're going to have to pay me a little bit more money because there's a little bit more risk on this longer term. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's what the yield curve is. It's, it's, they pay you a little less at the beginning, traditional yield curve I'm speaking of. And then on the longer term, you're going to get paid more. Now, what do you so think? I, well, I'm looking at a graph mm-hmm. and I'm saying the bottom line is my years Yep. and it should be kind of like exponential kind of going up. Exactly. On the front. Okay. All and right. that, that That's a regular yield curve. That would be the traditional 99% of the time in, in the economy that we see that that's, the way it works now okay. what do you think we have right now <laughs> well with the interest so high and and you see a lot of people failing on their loans and things like that i mean i would think it just almost be the opposite because there's no i can't guarantee what's going to happen in 30 years with the thing, way things are right now right so right now is weird is is what we call an inverted yield curve so now you've got to use that imagination and think yeah. of okay, if the yield curve slopes up and then to the right now it slopes up, down, and to the left <laughs> or to the right. So it, it this is a, uh, it doesn't happen very often. And, and in fact, every, I believe every inverted yield curve has been preceded by a recession in almost 100% of the cases. And, and it hasn't happened that many times. I mean, a handful of times. And so what that's telling you is, is that they're paying you more short-term to typically um, fight inflation. That, that's usually when you see it, right? Because they're raising up mm-hmm. short-term rates to bring down longer-term rates because there's too much money chasing too few goods. And so then you're you're getting paid a lot now um, and you're getting paid less later because the, think, the thought is, is that something's going to give and it has to. Either the long end of the curve has to go up dramatically, mm-hmm. which we're saying the 30-year, or the short term has to come down. So either you have to have a booming economy on the backside where rates go up uh, on the long term, or you have to have a recession, which brings down short term rates because they're going to try to put more money in the system to stimulate the economy because it's faltering. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes, it does. Yeah. So, and, and so, you know, we don't see that very often, but I'll give you just some ideas of what we're at right now. This is as of Friday, the yield. So the two year right now, is a 5.4%. So you put it in there for two years, you're going to get 5.4%. If you go five years, you get 4.6%. 10 years, about 4.6. And the 30 years, about 4.7. So you can see that the short term is higher. Yeah, 5.4 to 4.6. Yeah, yeah. And so that's unique. And it just says, it's telling us that something's going to give. And so you have to be very, very, very mindful of that. And be on your toes. I mean, you. This is a, this is an area where where there's a lot of risk. And and what's what's funny is we take a look at history and we can see another period that that this happened, which was the late '80s. We had, um, you know, we were coming out of a stagnant period, um, in the '70s, and we um, we 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 went into the Carter administration where we got a lot of inflation, and um, and then we were trying to work through it through our Fed chairman at that time, Paul Volcker. And his idea was, okay, we need to give this the atomic hit and just raise short-term interest rates very, very high because people were buying homes at 18% interest. 
Can you imagine wow. getting, getting a mortgage at 18%? Oh, you couldn't, you'd have like a, there's my shed. Yeah. You couldn't yeah. afford any, anything because you're paying it all in interest. Right. Right. And so what he did was he raised short-term rates to almost tw- about 20%. If you can believe that. Now here's, here's the funny thing is that the 30 year treasury U S treasury at one point yielded 16%. Wow. That doubles your money. U S guaranteed every 4.5 years. Oh yeah. Sign me up. Now I started in the business in 1991, 92, I came across so few people that had 30 year treasuries. And why do you think that is? Well, I mean, there had been something else going on, right? They were thinking to themselves, if I could get 20% in a money market, why would I have money for 30 years for 16? It was seriously 20%. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So everybody went short term instead of thinking strategically and thinking, okay, I can guarantee my money will double every four and a half years by the U S government. All yeah. I got to do is tie it up for 30 years. I ran into so few people that had long-term treasuries and, and, um, and it was all because of human nature. Everybody wants the most they can for the shortest period. And we're seeing that today, right? Short term, mm-hmm. the money markets are paying five and a half. Don't have to tie it up day-to-day liquidity and you're only getting 4.5 on a, on a longer term treasury. So, you know, what I would tell people is you have to look at that yield curve and say, okay, where's the risk here? Something's going to give, I need to be, I need to be positioned along that yield curve to take advantage of either way. Hedge your bets. In other words. Uh All right. So that's, we talked about the yield curve. Does does that resonate with you, Don? Can you understand? Does that make sense to you? Totally. But I mean, I, it's not something that, uh, as far as being like, I would never have any idea even where to look or how to look at her. Now I understand what it is, but I mean, that's something that, I mean, I think that you would be doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It takes, it, it takes, you know, a lot of people will take a lot of time and care and we're going to get into that. Some of the major risks here next, but a lot of people take a lot of major care into picking a good mutual fund or an individual stock and then just haphazardly just roll over their CDs or their treasuries or their bonds uh, when they mature into the same maturity. And so we're, we're going to talk about why that's a risk now. Um, so there's three really major areas of risk when you're th- thinking of fixed income and they're, and they're, and they're predominantly very large. So in my experience in three decades, I've seen more money lost in fixed income than I have in equity markets. And why do you think that is, Don? People not paying attention? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, if if the fixed income stuff is guaranteed, how can so much money be lost? Well. Versus versus equities. I don't know. You tell me. Where are we at? If you're a good equity investor and you're patient, what does the market do over time? It goes up. It goes up. It's an up escalator. It might stop sometimes, but... You know, yeah. it's, it's, it tend, it, you know, it started, the Dow started at zero is now is at 33, 33,000. Yeah. So, you know, it, it builds upon itself. Fixed income does not do that. All right. Fixed income. You, once you lose that money or you do something wrong or stupid with it, um, it doesn't come back. It doesn't build upon itself. You is, so you have to be very, you have to be as cautious. I would say maybe even a little bit, um, as diligent as you would be on your equity side. And we're going to see why. So the three major, major reasons are reinvestment risk. Okay. Reinvestment risk is a big one. So let's say that, um, 
that you buy a five-year treasury, okay, and it yields you 5%. Yeah. All right. And when it comes due, the next the next treasuries, the next five-year treasuries are yielding 2.5%. So w- what happened there? The value went down. Yeah, your income. I mean, if- your income just essentially got cut in half. Yeah, if I if I rolled that from five and I'm expecting to get five and I roll it just roll it over, roll it over, and don't pay attention to it, I just lost uh, half my my interest are coming back. Right, right. You your your standard of living not only dropped because inflation, which we're talking about in a minute, but you've also you have a reinvestment risk. So when that money comes due, it comes it, it may if interest rates are lower it may have a lot less income that's involved. And I went through this in the nineties when I would see people with a lot of fixed income investments in terms of CDs and things of that nature, because people were still a little bit leery of the market um, in the early nineties, because they had went through the 87 crash. Um, the seventies were still a, a pretty good memory for a lot of folks and they just didn't have a lot of confidence in equity. So a lot of people had a, a preponderance of their allocations in fixed income. And so I would see, meet with people and try to get them to move a little bit into equities just to for the inflationary risk and the reinvestment risk. And I remember these would be people that you'd have a real problem getting them to move into equities. And so they kept with the fixed income. And no, so the rates were high in the late 80s and 90s. So they were getting 8 9%. Then those bonds matured, and then they were getting 6 and Then those matured, and then they were getting 4 And those matured, and then they were getting 3 So these people were going out to dinners three or four times a week with their friends. It went down to one time a week. Then it went down to one time a month. They were going to dinner. Then all of a sudden, you know, they're thinking about, you know, is, is there something at St. Vincent de Paul that we can go down and maybe get to fish? Dinner? <laughs> yeah. I'll go you know? plant a tree and uh, help them out and they get a free dinner. <laughs> right. It's it, and it, that's what fixed income can do to you. If you just predominantly stick in fixed income and you don't pay attention to reinvestment risk. Okay. So really fixed income, you need to pay attention to when yeah, things are yes. coming up and when they're done. And, and especially with like your yield curve, that's really interesting. Just how it goes down and you have to predict, okay, when do I want to get out? Can you pull out of yours? If I get a five year, can I pull out in three? Yes. Yeah, you can. Now, so that's one of the reinvestment risks as well. So if you can always liquidate your fixed income early, as long as it's a liquid type of uh, security, whether, you know, the treasury market's the most liquid in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and liquidity is two things. One is you can get your money within three days, and also you can get the money at what the market uh, shows you can get it at. So some people think, well, I can get my money in three days, but there's an illiquid market, so you don't really know what you're going to get for it. All right, yeah. the treasury market will tell you exactly what you're going to get for it, and so you can get out of that. So, but that your bond will have to be either appreciated or discounted versus where rates are at today. So mm-hmm. if you have that same five percent example. And you want to get out early after two and a half years, right? You're looking at a two and a half percent bond or two and a half year bond that's paying 5%. So it's shorter because you've been in it half the time. Yeah. So then you would look at the equivalent market. What is a two and a half year treasury pay me now? So if the two and a half year treasury now pays 7%, right? Who wants your 5%? Yeah. You'd have to downgrade it to get make it equivalent to the the bigger one. Right, right. You'd have to you'd have to have the principal would come down because nobody's going to want to buy your two and yeah. a half year 5%er when they can go out in the market and get a two and a half year for 7%. So uh-huh. they'll discount yours to equal the 7% now. 
So we call that you'll take a haircut. All right. You're <laughs> gonna get you're gonna get you're gonna lose something. Now, conversely, if rates went to three and you got a five percenter for two and a half years, people are gonna pay more for your bond. They're gonna give you appreciation, a premium mm -hmm. uh, over the price of what you paid. So you think of price and yield as inverse. So when price goes up, yield goes down. When yield goes up, price goes down. All right. That's how your, your typical investments will look. And we'll get to why that's so important in a minute. But just for right now, that reinvestment risk is where is one of the, one of the huge items. So then you next have opportunity loss. Okay. You know, you tie up a long, you tie up in a long term, uh, you, you buy that, that same, let's say you go 10 years at that 5%, you tie it up long-term. Then we get a new environment where we go into a higher rate environment. And now instead of 5%, the newer bonds are at 7%. You don't want to take the haircut and sell early. You want to hold it till maturity because you want to get your principal back. Mm -hmm. But what have you given up? Well, the other 2% or so. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. You're, you're, you've just, you're kind of stuck at five when everybody else is getting seven and maybe next year they get eight, nine, 10. Um, but then maybe next year they don't, they don't. So that's why you've got to have a little bit of everything on that yield curve to take advantage of that. But that, yeah. that's a biggie too. So then that leads into inflation. So here's the worst curmudgeon of <laughs> fixed income investing is that you buy a 10 year treasury at 5%. And then the new ones go to seven. You wait it out because you don't want to take the principal loss. So then after those 10 years, you get back your same, let's say you put a hundred thousand into it. You're going to get the hundred thousand back guaranteed if it's a U.S. government item. And then you're going to get your 5% interest. Mm -hmm. But now, particularly this last day and age of where we're at, you've seen that the cost of goods has gone up. What um, you know, we were at seven, eight, nine, nine, the last, yeah. The last couple of years. So everything you wanted to buy went up by eight, nine percent a year for the last three years. Now, if you got that same money back over 10 years, that what is that hundred thousand gonna buy more or less goods? Well, less. A lot less. Yeah. So then you got less interest to go and do stuff with. Everything costs more, and you got back the same money you put in. 10 years ago, which buys you a third less goods. I mean, that we, we have a term for it in, in finance that I've, that I've kind of thought of. It's, I call it financial stroke because you don't know the symptoms. You don't feel them. You feel fine. You feel okay. But then all of a sudden just boom, it hits you and you can't do do things. You can't spend money. You're just, you're stuck. And so that's why opportunity risk and inflation is a big thing when it comes to fixed income. Okay. All right. And that last one leads into uh, bond funds. Now bond funds basically take all of the bad characteristics in my, this is my personal opinion, all the bad characteristics of fixed income and puts it into one package product for the individual investor to buy <laughs> on top of the fact that they're going to pay a fee for someone to manage their bonds. Okay. So you're paying a fee for an, for an investment that in my view has a very, very likelihood of having any success. And why is that? All right. So you put a hundred thousand in a bond fund rates are good. You're doing fine. All of a sudden rates go a lot higher and the bonds in that portfolio get, get, um, 
we, as we talked about, rates go higher. The value goes what, Don? Devalued. Devalued. They're going down. So now your bond fund is at 90000 You put 100000 into it. All right, you're still hanging in there, but then rates go a little higher. And then all of a sudden you're at $85,000 on your 100000 But you're not supposed to lose money in fixed income investing. It's your safe portion, and you're down 15%. At that point, people typically pull the plug and take the money out. So what does that manager of that bond fund have to do, Don? Well, he's got to raise the capital to get that money back to the people who want their money. Exactly. And he has to do at what is the timing good at that point? Well, I mean, if it's tanking, <laughs> then no. he's he's doesn't have anything to, to right. Get he's money. selling the bonds at the worst possible time. He's got to raise money. He's forced to sell bonds at their low, mm-hmm. right? To give to meet redemptions, the people that want the money in the bond fund. Okay, so then he meets that. So then when times when rates are low, he gets a lot of money, right? Because people want to get find yield somewhere. Yeah. Um, and then he buys bonds when they're very, very high in price. Right. And so he's buying appreciated bonds because he then he's got to he's got to buy design. He's got to allocate that money. He's got to have it invested because he's a bond fund manager. Mm-hmm. So he's buying bonds at the worst time, he's selling bonds at the at the at the worst possible time. He's on both ends. Then you get dividend distribution cuts or interest rate cuts, and it just feeds itself. And so what I would tell people there is don't buy bond funds unless it's a high yield or somewhere you need direct diversification. But for somebody to buy a U.S. government bond fund, to me, is just uh, would be I, I would never advise one of my clients to buy a U.S. government bond fund of any any shape, form or fashion. It just doesn't work. They, they, in my eyes, they just don't work. So, so that's um that's something to leave a listener with. <laughs> that's a good. That's a risk. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that one. Yeah, and it's risk. It's a risk that you're taking where, on on money you don't want to risk. Yeah, yeah, because I mean you're you're trying to make that stable and and right. Yes, precisely. And then anytime you have to rely on anyone else, the stable goes out the door. Yeah, yeah. If um. If, if they're not deemed a professional that have uh, what I would say a fiduciary standard, which we have, which means we have a legal standard to keep your best interest first and prove it. Um, you know, in my view, it uh, you, you have to really, really analyze what the motivation is for that, for that individual doing something. So, so, you know, just to wrap this up, the fixed income strategies for individual investors. Uh, you know, like I said, I found, most people take more care in their equity side of the portfolio than they do their fixed income. If you can take advantage of the yield curve, work with a professional that knows the fixed income markets. That's the other thing is a lot of guys and girls uh, that do this business now, they don't have a lot of expertise in the fixed income markets. And and you need to have that to be able to utilize that yield curve to the, to the client's advantage. Well, as you pointed out, we haven't really had one for what, 15 right. years. Yeah. 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 So a lot of these people have been brought up on mutual funds that you just put the money in and it just goes higher. Yeah. I think that the next cycle we're going to be into where fixed income makes a meaningful contribution to the portfolio. You've got to utilize the yield curve. You've got to stagger your maturities based off of that yield curve. Got to work with a professional on that side. And then you got to really be cautious about your equity exposure where and where you lie that because the next cycle is going to be more, um, 
more traditional returns that I feel between the five and 7% area of which about half of that's going to be comprised of the return from the fixed income. Well, with the volatility of the market in general, I mean, I think you, you as you pointed out, you need to have a foot on this side as well. Yeah. Cause traditionally speaking, when equities aren't doing well, fixed income tends to do, to do good. Now we've seen this year was kind of weird that, um, it was one of the worst, worst in history in terms of fixed income investing it because the rates went up so quickly, so fast. Mm -hmm. um, as we talked about, when rates go up, the bond prices go down. So bonds did really, really poorly this year. So that means they'll probably will trend back to their mean and, and they'll probably do a little bit better over the next, next two or three years. So, you know, when traditionally speaking, when things don't look real good in the equity markets, uh, the stock market people tend to look for safety. And so bonds typically do pretty well. And I think we could get into that type of cycle over the next two to three years. So Ken, if people are, are really into this, you can do it yourself, but I, I just don't see how when you have someone like yourself that you look at this every day, this is your, this is what you're living for and you get into it. And, and I don't, you can't, you can't be the geek that wants a nerd that wants to look at this all the time. You can't yeah. do it yourself. I don't see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, this is, you know, I have that yield curve staring at me because the yield curve changes slightly every second. And, um, you know, it's, it stares at me about nine, 10 hours a day. So, yeah, when, when we get, um, when we meet with somebody new, we look at their, we, we assess their fixed income portfolio. We uh, look at the risk that's involved, whether it be reinvestment risk, whether it be opportunity risk, the quality risk that they may have. You know, we try to purge out any, um, any, any bond funds that they may have that, that we think are unproductive and then take a real look, hard look at where we are right now, where we think the yield curve is going and, and put them their fixed income investing along that yield curve with as little risk to principal as possible. Right on. So if they want to get a hold of you to talk to you, how would they do that? Yeah. The best place is that kind of a central landing landing uh, spot would be our, our, our website, which is Orca. Uh, like the killer whale or like the print on the back of Quint's boat and jaws O R C A <laughs> wealth, like money, W E A L T H. So it's Orca wealth.com. And uh, you know, there we put our podcasts on there. Um, our philosophy or uh, what we deem um, is important for clients to, to, to look at and our history, things of that nature. So it's a good just landing spot for getting to know us. And then, you know, it can always be reached by my phone, 727-741-6077. Well, those are the principles to successful fixed investing. Ken, thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Don. And once again, thank you for your service. We appreciate nope. you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. People, a life well lived with Ken Allette and Orca Wealth Management. Till next time, Ken. Thanks, Don. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to A Life Well Lived. Grow, preserve, and transfer your wealth with Kinolet CPM. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Orca Wealth Management, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 
Orca Wealth Management LLC does not provide legal or tax advice. Clients should seek the advice of a qualified attorney or accountant as necessary.